morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it might be that you're tuning in to listen to this. This is the Reliability Connection. I'm Doug Bucknett, and today I have a very special guest in Michelle Henley. Uh, Michelle is from the, one of the first families of reliability, the Day family in the manufacturing game. And I've had the pleasure of meeting them very, very early on uh, in my career as a consultant. Uh, they were doing some manufacturing game events at Whirlpool. And uh, then I think we've met several times at different conferences along the way. Have even been out to dinner with different clients from time to time. And I've always enjoyed spending time with Michelle and her family. Her mom and dad are great people. Uh, and as I said, uh, they're what I, what I call the first family of reliability. So how's it going, Michelle? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Doug. Everything's going well. And uh, Michelle is from down in Houston, Texas. I'm up north uh, in Rochester, New York, and uh, going through one of those days where uh, crazy in Rochester, sunny and 70, and it's uh, not even April yet. Something unusual is going on because Michelle's telling me it's a little chilly in Houston today, but chilly in Houston is 60. Yeah. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Here on the Leadership Connection, we talk about people's careers and, and what the things that have inspired them along the way. And uh, I always start out by asking the question, Michelle, if you could tell us a little bit about your past, your background, where you went to school, and uh, some of the jobs that you've had along the way. Yeah, happy to. Um, my entry into maintenance and reliability world is, is definitely uh, very non-traditional, pretty different than most of the other people that I'm assuming you've had on the podcast. I went to college at the University of Texas in Austin, and I pursued actually a business degree. My major was in accounting, and I had a minor in what they called at the time data processing and management, which is basically the business version of a computer science degree. So got out of school, and I went to work in California. I worked as a certified public accountant with one of the big firms out in California. Uh, back then, there were eight big firms. I think now they're down to, to just four. But I worked there doing audit work. And uh, it, was, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite thing to do. But my passion for computer programming kind of drove me towards the consulting side of, of the business. And so I, I left audit and did some consulting work with that company for a while. And then eventually struck out on my own, which is, is what led me into the maintenance and reliability world. In the uh, early 90s, I guess, I started working with a group in DuPont that were um, trying to get data down from their, their mainframe system, uh, work order system, and they were trying to analyze the data on their PCs, but they were having a really difficult time pulling the data from the mainframe. So I came in and, and wrote a program that helped them to do that so that they could analyze the results. And, and as I was doing this, I got very interested in the data and what they were looking at. They were, uh, this group was working with all of the DuPont plants along the Gulf Coast and they were working on reliability improvements. And so they wanted to pull the data to be able to tell if they were actually making improvements or not. So I got really interested in the process and, and how they were doing it and had a lot of conversations with them about it. And one of the things that came up is they said, you know, that the issue is not really technical most of the time, that a lot of the technologies and methodologies for improving reliability are well known and have been well known for many years. Um, the problem comes in implementation and really dealing with the human side of reliability. And so that was just fascinating to me. Uh, one of the people who was in this group happened to be my father, Winston Lede, and 
Shortly after that, he decided to take an early retirement package and he struck out on his own to uh, help other organizations improve reliability using the board game that they had developed inside of DuPont. So that's the manufacturing game. And so, you know, dad was starting his, his new business and needed some help. And so I would go and, and work at nights and weekends kind of on the side to, to help him out to get things started. And the more work I did, the more interested I got in, in reliability in general, but also this process of really engaging people and dealing with the, the human side of reliability. So eventually those nights and weekends turned into my full-time job. And that's what I've been doing for the past 25 years. So using this physical game board, for anybody that doesn't know about the manufacturing game, it is literally a four foot by five foot game board with poker chips based on a system dynamics model of reliability. And uh, we use that game board to really engage people, kind of get their hearts and their minds uh, to, to um, pursue reliability improvements. And this includes everybody from the front line up through senior management. Well, I'm one of those people that is from time to time, you know, when I go and I work with a client and uh, I'll start scratching my head when I get to the different questions and see the issues and say, man, I wish they'd have had uh, the manufacturing game a few weeks before I came in here because it would have made my job a lot easier in terms of explaining the different aspects of, of, of what it takes to run a manufacturing company. Right? Um, it's easy as an employee to sit back in your little piece of that silo and judge others that, that you have to work with right, about how they run theirs right? and trying to understand uh, how that whole piece comes together is, is a huge piece of what uh, the manufacturing game does for companies. Yeah, um, the game does a great job of setting the, the context and getting people to understand sort of the whole system. It also gives them a chance to walk a mile in the other guy's shoes. You know, it's really exactly. easy as an operator to complain about the poor job the mechanics do or vice versa. Um, but when you're in their shoes, it's, it's very different. You get a chance to see what the pressures are on them and I think once you have that empathy with people kind of on the other side of the fence, it makes it a lot easier to, to cooperate and work together. Right. So, and looking back at my career, I, my frustration wasn't so much with operations, it was always with stores. What in the world did you get rid of that for? Right? And then when you learn and understand that aspect of the business, right? And they'd say, oh, but you maintenance guys, you'd have everything in the stock room, right? We'd need a whole nother building if we're up to you guys. Exactly. Right. And exactly. learning that piece and getting to understand that that piece and and saying, okay, what we really lack is communication. Right. Very true. Yeah. So, um, looking back at your career at this point, you must have had some events that that really just uh, blow your mind and, and and customer feedback. Are, are there a couple of those that maybe you can relate that you're really proud of? Uh, that, that you've experienced? Yeah, one of, uh, one of the things that I think the game is really good at is, is engaging everybody. And so we've dealt with you know, a lot of really difficult environments where people were pretty, pretty upset and, and a lot of times for good reason. Um, and so they come into the workshop and they see this board game and they're like, oh, give me a break. Are we really going to waste time doing this instead of, instead of working today? And so um, some of, when some of those folks come around, it's just been really incredible. So we had this one group we were working with out in California. And uh, we go through the workshop, and there's this one guy, Big Mike. 
and Big Mike is not happy and he's complaining like crazy and doesn't want to be there. And you know, a couple of times I, I joke with him saying, you know, well, hey, you're you're inside, it's air conditioned, it's 103 degrees outside. You know, certainly this is better than being out there. And he just said, nope. It's like, oh, great. So we get through the workshop and, and he participates and he's he gets a little better, I guess, but I, I was a bit discouraged by his response. And so after the workshop was over, a couple guys came up to me and said, man, this was really great. I really appreciated the experience. And, and what really struck me is, is how much it changed Big Mike. I'm like, okay, that's, that's not funny. You're making fun of me. And they said, no, you don't understand. He's been sent to like anger management training three or four times that, that this was Big Mike at his happiest. And so I said, anybody that could get him to participate and, and be that enthusiastic about it, you know, that really says something. So that was, that's kind of my marker there is the, the big mic measuring stick. <laughs> and what, what's even better is those people, the recognition of that, right? Um, big Mike might actually even be a leader, right? And, and you go, wow. If you can impact someone like that, the power of that person's going to go out and talk to three or four more people, and then those people are going to see that change, and it does. It's it's a culture changing event, and that's really the power of what you guys do. Is a lot of us talk about culture, a lot of us talk about leadership, and rolling that all into one thing and getting those people in the in the room and and having them have that experience of understanding that the frustrations that the other portions of the business go through. It's great, great, great stuff. Um, so looking um, again at your career, obviously what you do, you have to be a leader, right? When do you think you were first recognized as a leader? What were you doing at that point in your life? Well, uh, just like my, my entry into maintenance and reliability, my transition into a leadership role was, was pretty non-traditional. I am an introvert, an extreme introvert. I've always been happy to, I know, people now think it's funny, but when I talk to my friends in high school, they can't believe that this is what I do uh, for my career. And so, you know, I was always happy to take a behind the scenes role. Um, in fact, I don't know if you've seen those, the COVID memes where they, they say, you know, the look you get when you realize that your preferred lifestyle is called quarantine, that fits <laughs> me a T. Um, but my dad decided to really retire in, in 2015. So he had retired for DuPont in 94, I think, and then really retired in, in 2015. And at that point I had to decide. I either had to take on a leadership role um, within the company itself, but also within the, the uh, reliability community um, in terms of defect elimination, or I had to go find something else to do. And so my, my passion for adult learning, my passion for the game and defect elimination specifically, I just couldn't imagine giving that up. And so I really had to step out of my comfort zone and step up into a leadership role back in, in 2015. All right. Now, I can tell you in my career, uh, I would never have described myself as an introvert, right? But I was scared to death of public speaking, scared to death, right? Yeah, um, me too. Me too. I actually started, I, I realized that was a, a real limitation. And so I, I started by teaching a Lotus 123 class at a community college at night. I figured that was a safe place to to try it for the first time and, and see if I could survive. and 
and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, not only did I I survive it, but I actually really enjoyed it. And that that's when I realized that I had this real passion for helping people to learn. That's uh, that's just cool when you see that that light bulb go on and people understand something in a different way. I, I love that. And you're going back in time with Lotus One, Two, Three. I'm sitting here running my gears, going, I remember that, but I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, yeah. Talking about your earlier career and and uh, getting those data dumps and doing stuff with data, that is really something that uh, the maintenance and reliability community still struggles with today, right? There's CMMS and how to properly use it, and I, in fact, just spent some time in the last couple of weeks writing an article about going back to basics, right? There's so much out there today with smart machines, machine learning, the industrial internet of things, uh, digital twins, and people are excited about that stuff, but I'm also saying, man, we're not even doing the simple stuff right yet. Um, what do you guys do to, to help companies with that piece? Because it, it sounds like something that, that you're pretty passionate about. Yeah, you know, I, the back to basics really resonates with me, and and I'm a technology geek like anybody else. I love all the new cool stuff, but the question is, what are you doing with it? And if the answer is nothing, if the answer is all we're doing is collecting and manipulating and analyzing data, but we're not actually going out and making any changes to the equipment, um, then I say, you know, back off and spend the time looking at at the data where you're really going to do something with it. And I think that's that's where a lot of organizations struggle is that they just get so there's so much data out there and they get so consumed by it that they kind of get overwhelmed and they they don't take the next step and actually um, make improvements based on what they're saying. All right. So. Um, looking at your business and going forward, there's going to be a coming. It may have happened already. Um, going to come a point in time where you're going to have to hire some people. You're going to have to go out and look for some leaders yourself, All right? So if Michelle's out there looking for a leader, what are some of the traits that you would say are important in uh, leaders that we look for and uh, people that we want to help our future down the line? Yeah, the first thing is I recommend looking in untraditional places. So I don't see leader as, as a title. Um, it certainly doesn't require a degree of any sort. Uh, it shouldn't always default to just the loudest person in the room, which is kind of the easy way to, to find a leader. Um, I definitely have learned that, that competence and confidence are not the same thing. You can have one without the other. Um, so I definitely look in non-traditional places, like you mentioned with my story earlier with Big Mike. You know, somebody like that, um, you might overlook and say that's that's somebody who's just a, a grouch. You know, they're not really a leader. But but to me, somebody that's that passionate, uh, maybe they could be a good leader. And so the net one of the first things I look for is just a, a basic level of, of confidence. Do they understand what the key issues are? But more importantly, are they curious about them? Are they someone who's always thinking about new and better ways to do things? Um, I definitely would rather have somebody who knows a a little bit about the topic and they're really curious and they want to learn, learn more than somebody who thinks they already know it all. And you know, they're, they're not going to be curious or look for anything different. Um, second trait that I look for is the ability to influence people. You can't be a leader unless you have followers. And so a big part of, of that ability to influence others is the ability to communicate 
and be able to get your message across to, to other people in a way that not only do they understand it, but they're excited to, to work with you to pursue it. And then the last trait that I look for is humility. Um, almost all successes require multiple people. And I think that it's really important for good leaders to be able to recognize the contributions of others and make sure that they share the credit for all of the successes. That is, uh, the last trait is hugely important. It's one of those things that, you know, when I go out and do events, um, it's not uncommon when we have a closing meeting that to have managers kind of say, oh, wow, this really wouldn't have happened without you. And I, I look at them and go, no, it wouldn't have happened without your people. Right. What I know yeah. is right, I just feed people through a process that I've been doing for a long time and all the information that's in here came from them. Right. And they Absolutely. have the ability to do this. It's really up to us to listen. Right. And if we start listening to our people and we continue to educate them, that's the other piece of it is, boy, if you train people and then you have an expectation that we apply that training. Uh, that's a big thing. And then, of course, the biggest part of listening, right? So you've been around this business for a while and have been to multiple conferences. Uh, one of the things that I've asked people, and I may have asked you in this in the future, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to say, when I got into this business, I could tell you that, that probably in my first six months, I, I was the person that went to work, came back from work, did my dinner, uh, and then probably went and hung out at the hotel bar for a while and yacked with people and had a good time. And then after a while you go, wow, this can't be my life. Right? <laughs> and that's really when I got into reading and writing, right? Um, what are some of the things that you've read or, or courses that you've taken in the past that you would uh, recommend to people? Yeah. I. Um definitely read a lot in terms of of just reliability type work so some of the the drier more boring stuff just to to kind of catch up because i i lack the technical knowledge from an education standpoint uh, but when it comes to sort of the the human side and the leadership side some of the books from john cotter were really important to me early on so the sense of urgency and leading change i think are, are excellent um, more recently i've been intrigued by a book called prime to perform by Lindsay McGregor and Neil Doshi. And it, mm. it explores building high performance cultures through motivation. So they've kind of delved into a lot of the, the studies that have been done on motivation over the years and, and figured out good ways to kind of put together a, a good team and, and how to lead that team. And, and then another one that's been really important for me personally is a book by Susan Cain called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. <laughs> And so that was really good for me just to, again, to kind of see that you, you can be an introvert and still be a leader. You're just going to do it differently. And it talks a lot about how to capitalize on the strengths of introverts, like being better listeners um, and using that as, as a good way to lead. So those are, are some of the ones that, that I've really enjoyed uh, and that have had a big influence on my career. And of course, the first piece of that is even recognizing that that's what you are, right? And admitting it, right? Very true. <laughs> that book quiet it's actually really good about that because it, it talks about especially in western culture we've really promoted extroverts as the ideal uh, ideal leader and so it you 
there's this pressure to, if you want to be a leader, to sort of force yourself to be an extrovert. And the book's really good about explaining how that's not, that's not necessary. That's not the only way to lead. <laughs> All right. Um, looking at leadership, uh, it's been said in the past that uh, leadership is either, I've heard people say it's, it's a natural skill or it's a learned skill. What are your thoughts on that? So I, I look at leadership as kind of a set of behaviors, not as a personality trait. And so for me, I see it as, as a learned skill. That said, there's certain people that have personality traits that make leadership behavior more comfortable for them. It's a more comfortable fit. Um, so they're maybe predisposed to be better leaders. But I think for the rest of us, um, it's still doable. We can we have to work a little bit harder, maybe, and find the right circumstances and and the right style for us to be able to lead. And you know, I, I see this a lot with uh, various people that I work with. Maybe they're not in a leadership role at work, but when you look at what they do in their personal lives, whether it's with their kids' school or extracurricular activities, or maybe a volunteer group or hobbies, they're incredible leaders um, in those arenas. And so it's something that that uh, they're able to do when they find something that they have a passion for. And again, I think that's really important. If you're going to, to be a leader, you ought to be passionate about whatever it is that you're trying to lead. Great. Uh, I'm one of those that, you know, when I'm going to say that it was uh, my freshman year in high school, I was elected as class president, right? She so go, well, that's pretty early to be recognized as a leader, right? I was really lousy at it. Really. So it was one of those things. It was a personality thing. People, you know, I like to be around people. I enjoy having fun, right? Those types of things. But leadership, really, when it comes down to it, if you're not willing to learn about the strengths of what make good leaders, right, you can really struggle at it. And I do see that from time to time. The guys that were sports leaders or the girls that were leaders in, in, in their sports coming through school. Um, it's a whole different ball game, right? Bringing back the sports analogy, no pun intended there. But uh, we really have to have that willingness to learn to say, how do I inspire those that are different from me, right? That respond differently, that act differently, that may want different things. That how do I inspire the um, the introvert, right? Because some, yeah. people are, some people are really turned off by a loud and forward person, right? Not that I'm saying I'm that person all the time in, in groups, right? But I know that I can be. And I recognize that sometimes that's a turnoff to people, right? Yeah, that's a really good point that, um, you know, having to kind of learn those leadership skills and, and learning, again, if, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have followers. And your followers are going to be very different than you. And so learning how to to engage and inspire all those different types of people, I think is a, a huge part of, of being a good leader. So looking at leadership and then management, um, lots of people see them as strange, I shouldn't say strangely, as two complete different things, right? What are your thoughts on that? Can you either be a leader or a manager or is it possible to be both? Well, working in a small company, I would say you can definitely do both. You can be leader, you can be manager, you can be sales, you can be marketing, you can be content creation, <laughs> you can be janitor. You definitely can can take on all of those roles. I think in bigger organizations, they tend to segregate them a little bit more. 
Um, but the difference to me, I, I look at leadership as basically looking for opportunities and then helping the organization to make the changes necessary to, to uh, realize those, those opportunities. And then management is getting the day-to-day -day done and, and making it easy to do. So I think you know, when you're, you're making a change, you're willing to put in some extra effort and, and uh, put in all that extra work to get it done. But eventually, if it's not made simple, then it's not going to last. And I think that's where the role of manager becomes really important is you kind of take that, that, uh, those, those changes, those new ways of working and embed them into the organization so that it just becomes the way that we work as opposed to the new shiny object that we're pursuing. Um, so it definitely can be done by different people, but it takes very different skills and a very different mindset. There are definitely some people that, that prefer to just always be in the leadership role. And I think organizations struggle when those people are in a management role because they're always just looking for something different instead of trying to uh, make what we already do work. So I, I, both are very important roles, definitely can be done by the same person, but um, you got to know what role you're in and use the appropriate skills at that time. The small business aspect of that is quite the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I, I always tell the story of, you know, I, I got lucky starting out that uh, I had a really good customer in Whirlpool, right? Because they, with the successes they we had, they were willing to step up at, at conferences and do articles and talk about what we did and, and the success we had and ever forever grateful for that. And that really rolled into several other customers for me. And I was really lucky early on. And then you go through that first, <laughs> where all of a sudden the, the bottom falls out and that's really realized, holy smokes, I have to be a manager too. Right? Absolutely. There has to be this sense of reality that, okay, while you're out working, there still has to be somebody out selling. There still has to be somebody managing the money. There still has to be somebody marketing right it, yeah it just all be fun right and going to conferences and having people call you out of the blue and say hey come do some work for us right that's a that, challenge all right so i look forward to uh this pandemic and the end of it and oh, being yeah. able to see folks like yourself back at conferences and uh meeting the people and uh, the customers that we have in common um, but before we end today, I want to know what's going on with uh, the folks at the manufacturing game and what we can look forward to in the future. Well, a, a couple things. We, um, or we, we kind of stopped doing in-person training for a while. We, we started back up towards the end of the year, very limited capacity. And uh, we're you know, hoping with, with the increase in, in vaccines, we're hoping that it's going to be safe to, to start doing a lot more of that, maybe starting this this summer, um, hopefully getting back to conferences where we can see people live instead of on Zoom screens. That would be be nice for a change again, and uh, get to get to go out and have actual happy hour instead of virtual happy hour. Uh, but one of the, the things that's been uh, saying it's nice with the pandemic is probably not the right right way to phrase it. But one of the the opportunities that's presented itself is a chance to kind of look at. Um, some additional material. So coming up with some support material and looking at, 
you know, what is it that people need in addition to just the, the ahas they get from the manufacturing game and, and the defect elimination projects that they start working on, what are some other things that we can do to support those efforts? Uh, in, you know, by necessity, we've been doing it virtually for the last year, but we've come up with some pretty good processes for doing that. Um, that said, the question I always get is, when is the manufacturing game going to be available virtually? And the answer is, uh, not while I'm doing it. <laughs> it's one of the things that it's been really interesting with the pandemic is that um, I see the desire that people have for, for virtual training, and, and I certainly understand that it's it's more convenient. You can do it at your own time from your own location and all that. But I think what, what people really have missed is that person-to-person -person connection. And that's a lot of what participants get from the manufacturing game is, is being three feet away from somebody and looking them in the eye and working through these issues together, physically working through them together. There's something about that that, uh, that just resonates with people. And so I, I, don't, I don't see a way short of, of uh, some very, very serious virtual reality where you're going to get that exact same experience. That, that we get with the board gang. So I'm gonna be thrilled when we can all get back together and pass poker chips to between you, people. You and me both. I've said for years, this the business where we're in, it's a relationship business more than anything, right? And, and, and to make relationships and have relationships with people, you do need that face-to-face -face contact, right? You Absolutely. do need to work through those problems, standing side by side or sitting in the same room and. I've struggled with the RCM piece. I've had people say, come on, we can do this. We'll do the virtual thing. Really? For eight hours, you want to do this? Right? And when they get through their first two hours, they go, yeah, this isn't working. <laughs> right? Well, you know, there's so many good conversations that happen during the breaks as well. That, you know, it's just amazing some of the issues that get resolved because you have the right people in the room. And while they're standing there pouring a cup of coffee, they have a casual conversation that winds up solving a reliability problem that they've had for you know ten years. It's just incredible. Endless stories that occurred on break where problems Absolutely. were solved because people they don't they don't have the comfort level sometimes to speak up in the room. Right. Um, I one of the stories that I tell was over in the Netherlands, right? And so I, I walk into the break room. Two guys are. Uh, you know, they've got their cups of coffee already, and it's almost at argument level um, voices, right? And I said, uh, is there a problem, right? And one looks at me and uh, says, yes, we're discussing the failure mode from like 20 minutes ago. And that morphed into this is what's actually occurring, right? Yes. And those things, you aren't going to get them here, right? They're yeah. just not going to happen. So, yeah. at any rate. Particularly when you're talking about some of the frontline workers, right? Like you said, they're the ones that are less likely to, to speak up when you're in a, a sort of formalized setting, and particularly if it's a, across the computer on Zoom or go to meeting or something like that. They're less likely to present their ideas. All right. Well, Michelle, it's been great having you today. Uh, good to see your smiling face, even though it's not at a conference. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation, and hopefully in the near future we'll do this again. Absolutely. Looking, looking forward to uh, actually getting together sometime in 2021. Fingers crossed. All right. Fantastic.
Michelle, have a great day. This has been Doug Plucknett with the Leadership Connection. Tune in next time and enjoy. 2021 is going to be great. Have a good day. Bye-bye.